welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle. This is season two, episode seven. Today's episode is a roundtable on coming out featuring my metamor, Daniel Greenwolf, whose site you can find at danielgreenwolf.com and whose Patreon you can find at patreon.com slash greenwolfcast. My friend Corwin, whose site you can find at uplinestudio.com. You can find the link in the show notes below. Seva, his partner, and my friends Jamie and Brian, who are also partnered. We're discussing the concept of coming out in general, as well as their experiences with coming out as polyamorous, both to friends and to family. Uh... We talked for about three hours on this subject, so I ended up cutting it into two episodes. Today's episode is roughly the first half of this discussion cut down to 45 minutes of that discussion's content. We had a pretty good time discussing it, and there was a lot of laughter, but there were also serious moments and I hope that I've done that justice in cutting it down. This topic is pretty difficult for a lot of people to discuss, myself included. My family has, in the seven and a half years since I came out to them, come around in terms of understanding my polyamory, but not entirely, and... They weren't comfortable with my discussing that in any detail on this podcast because it's publicly available. So this vague statement is most of what I'm going to put out there about that. But I wanted to give some explanation of why I'm so little present besides moderation of the discussion in these two episodes. I felt a little bit bad about that, but I hope that I was still able to bring across the point that everyone has very different experiences with this process, and that we all have, no matter what our experience, our own particular journeys of this and all of them are equally valid and equally important in our progress through our journeys with ethical non-monogamy or polyamory. That said, here's the first half of our discussion on coming out. In general, if you're going to tell people about the fact that you're polyamorous or when you started doing this, who did you choose to start with when you started telling people about this? And why did you choose those people to start with? (laughs) And a hush fills the room. (laughs) I'll go first. Okay, Jamie. Um, When I first started being poly, I I don't think I had the vocabulary of poly as poly. Mm -hmm. That... um, monogamy didn't work for me and so the people that I told were the people that I was dating because while I also didn't have the vocabulary even of ethical non-monogamy as we do now um, 
it seemed to me like the right thing to do was be like, hey, you're not the only person that I'm sleeping with. And it wasn't until much later that it became, you know, a lifestyle. I, I mean, I don't know. I think the first time I told my mom was I was trying to shock her and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like laying in bed between a blonde and a redhead, you know, like, mm-hmm. and she like chuckled and was like, you're a dog. And, and, but it just never really came up that way. It wasn't like a coming out. It was just a tell the people you're seeing because that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I personally uh, was not, <laughs> my, I was the last of the group of which I became polyamorous with to accept polyamory as a possibility. <laughs> I, I thought it was no way that polyamory ever worked. I grew up, um, I grew up around a lot of Wiccans and pagans, and uh, I, I saw a lot of them just had no freaking idea how to relationship, much less how to polyamorous relationship. This was so, so I had generally bad role models for polyamory, from what I can tell. I did, for lack of a better term, I really didn't. Daniel, I was there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's okay. She saw many of the same people that I did growing up. Um, so it was really hard for me to 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 accept that that was possible. And then uh, it, it came down to really a little bit of research and my own feelings. I was getting very having very weird feelings. And then finally, uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine who was just a just a random just a friend who's you know he had been in a you know regular monogamous relationship for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I said. I love all of my brothers and I love my parents, you know, but why, why am I only, why do I, why am I focused on loving one person like romantically? Mm-hmm. And it just came out like that. And it's the, it's, it's the same realization that every human being seems to have. But, but I, I think he was the first one that I kind of, I kind of talked about and I said, you know what? I think, I think that, yeah, I think I can do this. And that's where that kind of started. So he was the first one before I told my mom or anybody else, I think just having that conversation with him was really the first thing. So, so that was really clarifying for you, that moment of like, I need to talk this out with somebody to figure out how I feel about it. Oh yeah. I had to, I had, I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm very, even though I'm Irish, uh, I try to be bad at internalizing because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's way too easy for us. It's way, we're just like, yes, we'll put it all right here in a little ball. And I think John Mulaney said, and then one day we'll die. Um, so yeah, I think that's where I started off with. Get drunk and regurgitated at everyone though. There you go. That's way why. down here, unless yeah. we're drunk and regurgitating. Yes, I too am a fiber stock. I understand this. Exactly. Uh, and I and I had the I had the mispleasure of being one of the only Irish people that never got drunk. So that just stayed there until mm-hmm. I let it out. Um, so that was me. I, yeah, I had to talk to people. I think that really helps with it, um, in general with anything. So there you go. Yeah. Pretty much the, the lack of vocabulary is, is so deep that it, it, it goes beyond just not being able to verbalize it. It, it goes into the, in, into the realm of not even being able to conceptualize it, you know, I, I was raised, you know, Irish Catholic and Hispanic Catholic, which means that there was a lot of church and not a lot of talking about it. (laughs) My mom is Brazilian and my dad is Irish. And so there's just so much of the like, why don't we just go to church and not discuss this? 
until yep. someone is angry and then we yell for a little while and then there is more church <laughs> <laughs> see i didn't even have that much but it's oh. it's odd because you know i i i credit you know the uh, the powers that be for continuously clubbing me over the, the the back of the head with the reality that i was a polyamorous person but I had no clue because I didn't have the vocabulary nor the social indoctrination to conceptualize any kind of relationship format that was not male, female, heterosexual, and monogamous. You, you also had a deeply ingrained need for the love of your life escalator theory like it's what i thought it's what i knew it was the only concept it was the only model that i had so clearly that was the only one that could be aspired to because i I had no idea that there could be anything else except for the fact that there was this little nagging thing in the back of my brain that said every time a girl cheated on me there was something about it that wasn't entirely all bad and I just had to figure out what that thing was. <laughs> and, you know, it, it took, oh, God, way too long to figure, to, to, to tease apart the, the two threads that said lying is bad, them enjoying and being with other people is not bad. And that's really hard to tease apart, especially when I had, you know, I, I was not the last person to a group, you know, of pre-established poly people. Mm-hmm. I had nobody to discuss this with. Nobody. Yeah, we tried dating and, and dating other people and failed. And again, that was before <laughs> vocabulary and went, went our separate ways and then came back together years later mm-hmm. with vocabulary or more of the vocabulary that we were able to, like, learn and grow with together. And so that made it a lot easier. Yeah. It took us three tries to get things right. And, you know, our, our wedding motto was no third shoe. Yep. <laughs> you know, you're in a relationship, you're waiting for the shoe to drop, and it does. And then you get back together the second time, and you're like, oh, waiting for the other shoe to drop, which it did. And then the third time, you know, there's no more shoes. So we, we finally got it right. But, yep. but yeah, no, like, I none of my friends, you know, that I grew up with are poly. Family is... Uh, apparently, my uh, my stepsister uh, had dabbled in poly. dabbled in op- well, I don't know about poly, but in open relationships. Mm. Um, she she had been married, and her her hus- her ex husband was a veteran who, you know, unfortunately came home with some some damage that he refused to get addressed. Mm. So it, it ended up not not panning out for them. But, you know, they, they tried things and, you know, they they discussed and I guess dabbled in open relationships. And But, you know, if, if the relationship that you're in doesn't work, then bringing in more people isn't really typically going to fix it. <laughs> right. Marriage broken ad people is not an equation that functions super well. So, yeah, so, you know, as as far as coming out, um, you know, I've got two best friends and they're, you know, we've literally been friends since like first grade. Um, And, you know, telling them was not a big thing. You know, one of them is married, has three kids. The other one is divorced with one kid. And, you know, they, they know and they understand me. 
and they know that I've always been weird and that standard things don't work for me. To be fair, one of those friends is also weird and has been naked with us before. Yes, so. yes. So this was a surprise. <laughs> oh yeah, it's always a great day when you can text one of your best friends and be like, hey, you want to come over and help nail my wife? <laughs> That's not typical though. I just want that said. No. We all talk about it like it's typical and we all know it's not. It's For not. the record. <laughs> um, you had brought up a point, which I was curious about what the other folks also, because I'm not sure of, and, and I don't want to out anybody as far as your orientation goes is what, you know, because I, I consider myself pansexual. And for me, being not straight or being not specifically gay, being attracted to the spectrum of, of gender um, uh, and, and, and sexuality in that sense, that made it a little easier for me to come to terms with. And also uh, it was kind of, it was almost for some of my for some of my family members a one-two punch. Um, in fact, one of my family members, one of my brothers, which I will not name him, so that way there's still a large pool to pull from. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one of my brothers looked at me and says, "So you're so you're in love with with more than one person?" I go, "Yes." And there's a long silence, and then he goes, "It and and you're attracted to men too?" I go, "Yes, yes, I am. I've been." But I was I was pan way before I ever came out as Polly, so it was just funny to me that he that was his levels of like acceptance right there. I realize but, we're spiraling off real quick, but do you find, especially with monogamously minded people, that they have an easier time understanding that you want to love a man and you want to love a woman because you get different things from them, like like you're filling holes in your life that can only be filled by gender parts. I, I feel like that was something I had to explain pretty early on that that wasn't the case. Um, but uh, definitely, I'm sure that played. I'm curious about what other folks are. Again, I don't know what other people's orientations who haven't spoken, but did you find that it all made it easier, harder? I'm curious. I, I brand myself as tragically heterosexual because, um, you know, if, if I had more of an attraction to men, I think it would have made a lot of things a lot easier and it's only because you've never tried dating a man as a man well they've never flipped my libido but like i said tragically heterosexual because i think it would probably be a lot of fun if if, if it were the case but I'll, I'll save you some trouble cis men were trash it's it's okay you're fine <laughs> you're not missing much fair enough fair enough but you know yeah so um i also enjoy the spectrum of genders um i'm and, so happy guys i'm so happy right now <laughs> i'm also and i love you guys <laughs> um i it, it's like there was no correlation between the two when i came out and so i basically i i came out first to my parents i went from telling like a few of my friends like oh i'm sleeping with a married couple to, oh, fuck, this is a lifestyle, and I think this is my lifestyle. <laughs> um, and I just went straight to telling my parents, and it's, there was no correlation. And honestly, they didn't react great to either one. So, like, I guess maybe that's the correlation, that they were kind of like, it's a phase. And then, are you are you sure you like women? Have you had sex with them? How can you know? And I'm like, you don't want me to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask questions you don't want answered. Yeah. <clears throat> I am straight, 
but like my my thing with this is uh, I'll spare you the gory details of my story, but I was married when I fell into polyamory penis first. And uh, as a result, my first coming out like thing was to friends and to other poly people that I met at poly functions because it was, you know, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Um, and what like six months from now, what my thing is going to be. So like, I felt no need to tell, you know, family because I was like, I don't know if this is going to be a thing. Like this is a casual <laughs> fling potentially. And I don't know if that's going to be the end of it, but I was also aware of polyamory from like age eight or so, because Heinlein is how I discovered it. Um, <laughs> and it was in the back of my mind. It's not what I was thinking when I fell into it, but <laughs> Two weeks after I woke up from what we were doing, I realized that that's exactly what it was. And so, and then because of, again, I'm, I'll spare you the gory details, but five months into that, I got my brand new, brand new to poly partner pregnant with a failed IUD. Um, and at that point, that kind of forced my hand. And I went from like, I'm telling a few friends, maybe some, you know, friends I made at work, friends outside of work to like, yeah, this is a thing and I need to tell my family because we're going to form a family around this happy accident. Uh, so I had like two very different coming out situations. God, I can't imagine coming out with a kid involved. That's It made it easier in the sense that I, they were like, why are you telling us your proclivities? And I was like, well, here's the part you need to know. <laughs> There was a movie on like HBO when I was like 12 or 13. And I don't remember, I think it might've been called like Glamour or something. It was about this girl who falls in love with these two guys and they form a, a V and they live together and they, you know, neither of them, I don't remember them being involved, the men being involved with each other, but they were involved with her. And in the end they form a happy family and they get pregnant and they don't care whose it is. And I think, I think it was the first time I ever realized that it could be a thing was like this accidental, like we used to sneak it on the t channel we weren't supposed to watch on the TV when our parents weren't around, you know? Like <laughs> it wasn't like porn, it might've been softcore, I don't remember, but it was like, there was this legitimate story of these poly people. And I was like, oh, this could be a thing. I just always knew I was upset that Buffy had to choose between Angel and Spike. So I don't know if that points out anything about me as a person, but. <laughs> I was just busy editing people's fan fiction about Spike and Angel. I don't know about the rest of you. Right. My my first Polly podcast that I listened to, uh, I listened to her very early episodes and she did a dramatic reading of Buffy, uh, Spike and Angel erotica. And I was like, okay, this is, this sounds fun. Well, <laughs> listen. The most, the most healthy, the healthiest relationship in that was Spike and Angel. And I think Angel showed that more than anything else. That was the healthiest form of the relationship amongst those three. I'm just that throwing it out there. That says something terrible about all of yeah, those relationships. Yes. Now. Yes, it does. <laughs> but I was, I was ethically non-monogamous for about a decade before I was polyamorous. Um, that's the other thing is that I was, I was a serial monogamist, uh, but I was very good at long-term, like all my, even from high school, you know, after I, you know, I was cheated on from when I was like 15, 
Uh, and then after that, my next relationships, I was in one for three years and then I was in one for 10 years and that was my first wife. And then, but during those 10 years, my, my, my ex-wife and I were, were ethically non-monogamous. And so, uh, that I never shared with, you know, kind of like the same thing is, uh, you know, is that I never shared that with my family because they don't need to know who I'm having sex with. Like that's mm -hmm. not, that's not their business. But once love and relationship came into the equation, uh, I knew that especially, and, and also when we decided that all four of us, cause at the time it was my ex-wife and I, uh, with, with Ken and Vanessa, um, you know, we realize that we have to be, we're going to be together. We don't want to be quiet about it. And if I'm going to be an advocate about being queer, I shouldn't hide. Like, this doesn't feel like something I should be hiding if I, if I'm, if I'm have a certain level of pride about this. And so the first people I came out to officially, I guess, uh, was set definitely my mom and my brothers, uh, because they deserved to, you know, they, they really not only deserved to know, uh, but but they're the ones that meant the most for me to make sure that they knew. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure. Again, I'm curious. I'm, I'm maybe I'm trailing off to what is the first like what was the the response to this uh, to to coming out. But my response was one of the few very positive responses that I've met and seen. Um, my mother, my father had passed away. Um, and it's really not sure how he would have taken it. I'm not sure. We still don't know, but I, I'm guessing eventually be cool with it because much like my mom, it meant that she got two extra grandkids out of it, uh, which she freaking she loved that. Uh, but also she just, she literally and genuinely wanted me to be happy. And she wanted, she wanted my ex-wife to be happy as well. She was way more upset about our divorce uh, and, and, and wasn't at all upset about the fact that we were polyamorous and also well understood that those two things were disconnected. That was the beautiful part. My mother and my brothers, um, and I can't, I don't, I mean, maybe not everybody, but people I spoke to, they never connected polyamory to being the reason that my, my first marriage fell apart. In fact, quite the opposite. A lot of people had said, um, you probably held on for longer than you should have because you were in this relationship for eight months and you were able to push things under the rug. Uh, and, and really you should have been dealing with those for years before I, you know, we got involved with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So, um, for me, uh, coming out as Polly was a very positive experience, uh, for the, for the first, for, as far as my mom's concerned, there are three other stories at play with the three other people and they all have different stories. And one of which me almost punching my ex father-in-law, because he brought up my dead father's memory. So I have the whole gambit of, of people, but my, my main experience, the people I give a shit about is my, uh, my family. And it was uh, overall positive because they were, my mom was, I think part of it is that my mom grew up, you know, my mom was Wiccan and my mom took me to those festivals. And she, even though my parents were monogamous and loved my mom, loved my dad and only my father and still only loves my father, despite the fact that we've been trying to get her set up with hookers. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, who doesn't? Am I right? Okay. Anyways, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying my mom's single gentlemen. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> Michael Flatley, you listening? She still wants you. Um, but I think honestly that, that being in that world made it easier for my mother to be like, as long as you're happy and you're being honest with everybody and everybody is, is, is okay with the result. So that was my experience personally. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's perfect. My next question was literally, how did sharing this information with your immediate family go if you, if people hadn't shared that already? So I'm sorry, I host a podcast. Anybody <laughs> who didn't cough that up, if you'd like to, uh, you're under no obligation to share. But uh, oh. if you've had the immediate family talk, how did it go? Uh, and then after people have shared that, uh, I'd like to talk more generally about how to deal with negative reactions to coming out, because there are always going to be some people who, when they hear this information about us, don't react positively. I know, Corwin, when you came out to your mom, because we've talked about this before, she faked a heart attack, if I recall correctly. <laughs> oh my God, I have to hear <laughs> So, um, my mom, uh, I was in a triad when I was doing all this. And so I came out to three different families, uh, sort of in a short time span, again, spurred by the imminent pregnancy and childbirth. Um, my mom, uh, we sat down for an awkward dinner and part of the challenge for me was, uh, my family speaks Russian. Uh, my relationship was with everybody who speaks English and does not speak Russian. So like the, the one thing about it was that while I was exposed to poly as a concept and, you know, why shouldn't you be able to love more than one person? I was not exposed to the language of poly in Russian. So I went there and in my typical fashion did not prepare a speech for this and then <laughs> sat there through dinner figuring out how exactly I'm going to bring this up and then finally did. And, you know, said, hey, I'm in love with two other people, like, but there's my wife that you already know. And then there's that woman that visited with us uh, and that was our friend a couple of times and had dinner with us. So that's the other one. And um, and they said, what, you know, why are you telling us this? We, do, do we really need to know this? We knew you were weird. <laughs> and I said, well, hold on, there's part two. Uh, the, the new one, the one you just met, she's pregnant. And we're trying with the wife too. So, you know, there will be uh, two grandkids for you to have grandkids. And my mom got up and she started pacing. And then she said, my chest hurts, my heart hurts. She threw herself down on the couch, uh, which was conveniently almost strategically placed. <laughs> uh, she, she literally put her hand, the back of her hand on her forehead and said, I think something is wrong with me. Like, this really hurts. And I said, cool, I'm dialing 911. We're going to get you to a hospital ASAP. We're going to take care of you. Stay calm. She immediately got up and said, I think I'm feeling better. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a specific Russian medication that basically I'm pretty sure is just uh, menthol uh, that you take when you have heart problems, quote unquote. Uh, so she was like, I think that's all I need. I think that's fine. I think it's fine. You don't need to call 911. You can stop that. Uh, and then she asked me where she went wrong. Um, to which I said, you know, look, Polly takes communication. And the fact that I'm able to communicate about a complicated relationship in a complicated situation with two people at once, I think said something that you did something right. And she's like, no, I think I did something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that was more or less the end of our discussion that night. And, uh, and I left the house and then uh, we did not talk 
uh, for a week. And then the following week, exactly seven days later, she called me back. And for the first time in my life, she apologized to me. And she said, I am really happy about this. And I want to have grandkids. And I'm really happy that you're going to have not one, but two at the same time. And your father has been walking around looking at where we're going to place the pictures of these kids in the house. Uh, so like past that fake heart attack, it was great. <laughs> you just, just got to get past the fake heart attack. That's what I always say. It's yeah. That's been my years. It's been my action. That's good to know. Well, I, I think it's it's fairly common enough that there's there's always a lot of initial knee jerk responses, you know. And these are the things that we've been socially conditioned to feel when you know situations outside of the normal paradigm hit you in the face. And you know, once once that is over and over and done with, you know, and you can actually take a step back and 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 really examine what you were feeling and why you were feeling it and, and see what about it, you know, rings true in your heart and what doesn't. Most, most responses I've gotten have been very, you know, accepting like, okay, why does this even have to be a big thing? You know, when, when I told my father and my stepmom about it, they were like, whatever. Okay. Makes you happy. It's all good. Uh, when I told, well, I didn't tell my mother and my stepfather. Uh, Jamie kind of blew up her spot. I didn't, know <laughs> I, I, it didn't occur to me that they were unaware that we dated other people. Like, she literally dressed me with one of my other lovers for our wedding. <laughs> like, him and her taped, like, like sewed me into my wedding dress. And I, I think she assumed he was gay um, mm -hmm. and didn't who he was to us and so at some point I said something you know I mean the last guy that I dated long term who you and Daniel have both met I mean like we did I dated him for six or so years and he never told his family mm -hmm. you know, like it did it just I don't know I need to know that people don't know or I just assume that they do mm -hmm. because it doesn't occur to me to hide it well, and it wasn't like I was trying to hide it either. It's just that, you know, my mom being Irish Catholic and, you know, ha her being my mother, I just did not discuss sexual relationships with her. She worries a lot. Mm -hmm. Both both my mother and my stepfather have damage from being left by the person that they thought was their life partner. You know, at in a way that there was there was no opportunity even to try and work on things. It was just the other person decided they were done and they were and they were gone. Mm -hmm. So well, that's kind of one of the reasons why I never really just discussed this with my mom is because I I know that it's not something that she's going to ever do anything other than worry and panic for me about. That's it. <laughs> I said something about my boyfriend and, you know, my boyfriend and I had broke up and she was like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know, I've been dating this other guy for that, you know, she's met him for mm -hmm. uh, like six years. And she's like, well, that is open or no, you know what it was? I, I said something about Brian's girlfriend coming to visit. And she's like, what do you mean Brian's girlfriend? And I was like, <laughs> Brian's girlfriend to, to spin his like she's never met her because she lives so far away and and she was like but 
but that doesn't work. And I was like, Barbara, I've, been, I've dated somebody almost the entire time we've been married. We've mm-hmm. both been dating. I was like, we've both been dating other people since before we got married. And that's, I think, when I told her, I was like, you know that Richard and I still see each other. That's the one she dressed me with. And she just, it, it had never, because we didn't bring it up with them. She's, they've actually, Jack spent the last two holidays with us. And mm-hmm. I didn't specifically tell them that it's, you know, what goes on behind closed doors, but she's taken the kids so we could have some nights alone. So I don't think she's completely <laughs> unaware at this point, you know, like but, she was like, I just don't see how it can work. It didn't work for Saskia. And I was like, yeah, but Barb, we've already been doing it for almost a decade. <laughs> so obviously it works for us. <laughs> and, and, you know, as I said, she, the only thing that she would, that, that she can do that she is capable of doing is worrying and panicking about, you know, that there's something wrong in our in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And she's she's so she she's got the, the kind of damage that she's never gonna be able to really view and understand a polyamorous relationship. You know, she it just it it it, it doesn't work in her world. Well, you kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I mean, really, as far as dealing with other folks who, when you're telling them this, their reactions have nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. Their reactions have nothing to do with the couple. You know, my mother was in a solid, understanding, loving relationship, and my father passed away in 2009. And there was never, there was never a point where, they, and they got into fights, they argued but it never occurred to them that they wouldn't be together until they were both dead. And, and I think that that, that perspective led my mother to being so accepting because my mother understood the concept of, of an absolute love and, and, and of love not being singular, love not mattering whether someone's alive or somebody's dead or love being something that has to do with something, you know, it's, it, they had such a healthy relationship um, that I feel like that's one of the reasons. And then in other circumstances, you know, uh, in my ex-wife's case, uh, her parents were divorced and one was remarried, who is far more accepting, by the way. My ex-wife's mom was way more accepting. She had remarried and her husband was awesome and they were accepting, even though they thought it was a little weird, they were accepting of it. Uh, her father, who was a prick, uh, who was a chauvinist and pretty much a homophobe and basically, and a racist. Um, and I can say it about it. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> cause he's my ex father-in-law, but he was definitely, he wasn't okay with it. He thought it was all about sex. He thought it was all because that's what's in his mind. That's what was always in his mind. And that's how he treated women. He treated women like objects. He treated women like people who were meant to serve him. And he was just the worst kind of human. And in those instances, it was easy to see, like the dichotomy was so easy for me to see someone as amazing as my mother and somebody as decent as her, you know, even though, you know, as, as my ex-wife's mom, and then someone who's just as horrible as my ex-wife's father just made it so obvious to me that it had nothing to do with us. We were the same, 
but they were different who had come from different experiences, hadn't done different things. And I think that's something that I think people need to remember when they do come out, that the response they're going to get, whether it's the knee-jerk reaction or a week later, um, after the fake heart attack, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, I think it's going to come down to remembering that their response has nothing to do with you and it has to do with what they're going to what what those people have to see about themselves in yep. what they're seeing that's a really like that's so i came out at 21 <laughs> i was i was a baby <laughs> um i was gonna say you were late <laughs> late. Trust me, I was late. before I was sleeping with guys and, and I was, I was out before I was even like 14. <laughs> yeah, this, I like the circumstances in which that like led up to me needing to come out were complicated and don't matter a whole lot, but I, I'm an only child and my parents are older. Um, they're both boomers. They're like, I, I was kind of everything. And I was everything that they, they wanted me to be was everything that they weren't. And so I had all of the hopes and dreams placed on me. And when I came out and said, you know, mom, dad, I'm, I'm polyamorous. This is what this means. Actually, I think I just came out to my mom at first. And I had told her, I had said, I want to do this in therapy where we both have like a mediator there. And like, you know, I just want to talk to you about some things. And she was like, no, 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 do it now. Do it now. So she kind of twisted my arm there. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll do the best I can here. And I tried to give her as much information. And at first she took it really well. And she was like, yeah, I kind of figured there was something going on. Like, you know, could be worse. By the next day, I was the punishment for all of her sins. I was evil. I tore up a marriage. I like, I did all sorts of horrible things and she didn't know me anymore. And it prompted probably like a year and a half uh, or so, uh, probably closer to two years, honestly, of just awkward, unpleasant distrust. Like there was real nastiness that has taken me a really long time to get through. So I have the distinction of coming out and then going right back in the poly closet. Um, because I, I had to like, I, to the point where I was dating Corwin and was terrified to tell my parents. And so didn't work out great, crashed my car and he had to drive me home and met my dad. Um, but it just, it, it was a really bad experience for me and I internalized it so hard. And so like looking back at it, I can be like, yeah, my parents got married super young and had a ton of doubts early on in their marriage where they could have cheated on each other and could have done all this stuff. So when my mom is talking to me about how I'm wrecking a marriage, how, her and my father could have strayed so many times and they never did like, great. That's, that's where this is coming from. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, right. And it might also be a cover for they actually did a bunch of times that she doesn't want to tell you about because she's trying to give you the inspirational speech instead. 
like she's trying not to do the overshare that my mom did when I came home from college, but she's giving you her own version. Yeah, yeah. Keeping so, thing of guilt on top. Oh yeah. So yeah, I I came out and then for the past for the past uh four and a half years have only told them about this relationship. And and then and back to well, gee, how do I come out about this girl I've been dating for almost four years now? <laughs> and, like... it, and you know what's interesting is that there's a there's a level of of accuse, ac- accusation when you hold on to a relationship for that long, and then at some point you t- like the longer that you're in it, right? The more it's going to come out as an accusation later, where you go, "Well, I didn't tell you." because of how you took it the first time and i didn't i don't think you're responsible enough to know about my relationships yeah and that's not that's not a wrong feeling to have like i mean uh, maybe it's it's a hard conversation to have but it's definitely not a wrong one to have i don't think uh i was lucky unlucky i don't know i didn't come out until i was in my late 20s I didn't come out as polyamorous until I was in my late 20s to my family. And at that point, it's really hard when you're almost 30 for someone to go, it's a phase. You know, <laughs> they're like, he's like, he's already Not a magician. Hard. <laughs> I guess so. You're right. It's easy. It's the easy fallback, right? Uh, or they'll say it's a midlife crisis if you're if you're a little later on. But when you're about 30 or so, um, it's a little tougher for them to be like, okay, this is the, this is the thing he's doing now. And it's going to pass in a month. But, you know. If you've proven yourself to not, I think that's the other thing too. If they see that you, you don't do that, you know, I'm, I'm not a Ralph Cramden schemer kind of guy. It's, you know, I've been a magician since I was 10. I've been, you know, I've run a Renaissance fair for a decade. Uh, you know, it's like when, when you've proven yourself, no, I'm, I'm in this for maybe way too long. <laughs> like I might write it to the bitter end might be what I do. They kind of, they accept that that's, oh, okay. I see that he's doing this thing. So that might be hard. I think coming out at 21 or 14 or anything is t- terrifying to me. That's still, that it scares the hell out of me. You know, I had literally just graduated college. Oof. Like literally, I think it was the weekend after. The part that Save is not sharing necessarily is like the aftermath of that coming out and what that did to her life because it wasn't consequence free. Yeah, I mean, I was kicked out of my house and I, like completely lost my relationship with both my parents for a while. Um, and like, thankfully, I, I think part of my concern now, like present day, is it took so much to get that relationship back, but it took me omitting this huge part of my life. And if I open that up again, I basically have to be okay with possibly losing my relationship with my parents forever because I'm not like, I'm at a place now as more of a real life adult than I was at 21. As you know, I was, if they don't react well, then I'm not going to put myself through what I went through at that time. Like, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to take that. And so they can make the choice to react well, or at least say, hey, we don't understand it, but we love you. Or they cannot and they lose me. But that's also, you know, a big step to take for myself. Yeah. Well, that's why it's so scary when you're younger, 
because that because because they've got there's a level of power that they that parents have over you um whether they want to flex that power or not it still exists they're still paying maybe paying bills might be paying rent might be sending you to college so like that would be that's why it's so scary to me because you know at the end of the day all of us we all when we all came out as polyamorous all of us were in our late 20s early 30s or whatever so there's nothing from a fiscal physical standpoint they could do to us it's just the emotional which is the emotional is always often worse but still you don't have that looming over you of like where am i gonna live if they say they don't accept me for being poly or being gay or any of the things that that could happen when you're younger so that's so that's why that's i'm so that's awesome that's amazing and terrible that's and all, amazing like the worst betrayal though for for they, you know someone that you've loved and trusted your entire life I, I, my parents were also divorced and I had the benefit of having two fathers in my life, um, both of whom did their best, but one did significantly better. And it was not the blood father. And, at, you know, at this point, <clears throat> due to other circumstances, I have had to cut him completely out of our lives um, in order for the health of myself and our family. And. I, I know I did come home and say, you know, to my even though even though my parents are pagan, they were my mother and father were both extremely prude and only ever slept with like two other people in their entire lives, their first loves, and then they found each other. And like you you know the story, Daniel. Mm. Like oh yeah, yeah. When I came home at 14 and was like, I'm sleeping with a girl, and then I'm sleeping with a guy, like my my dad was literally on Prozac. So my my stepfather. To, to, to cope with and deal with all of the things I was bringing home to them, but never once would he have thrown me out of the house. And, but, but I know also that if I had challenged my, what I did challenge my biological father in something completely different and he did throw me out of the house, which is why I was with my parents in the first place. It's such a betrayal of trust from to, to, to have that happen from our, like to believe that they're going to love us no matter what. And then to have them just completely throw us away for doing something they themselves can't envision themselves doing it. I don't know that I really have anything to say on it other than to go back to the positive note that you ended on earlier, Daniel, which is that people don't see us for us. They see us as extensions of themselves. And so if we're trying to be empathetic in dealing with the pain, probably the easiest way to come about understanding is to know that that's how they're, how they're looking at us really. Well, so then uh, we can say that that's kind of the underlying message of how to deal with negative reactions is to try to view them as being about the other people's baggage, the other people's damage. On next week's episode, we're going to be looking at the rest of this conversation where we address more specific strategies that people had to address these negative reactions that people potentially have when you come out to them, not just within our families, but in workplaces and in different kinds of social interactions uh, among our friends and acquaintances and also positive interactions that we have with people both expected and unexpected in the course of various coming outs that some of us have had 
Uh, as I said at the outset, I've been out for seven years and out among friends for a dozen and I've had positive interactions throughout that time as well as the occasional negative one and so had everyone who I'd spoken to. So we had a pretty fruitful discussion both for the hour and a half that I cut down to an hour for our second podcast and the hour and a half that I cut down to this first hour. So I hope that you're all looking forward to the second half of our discussion on coming out and that you enjoyed this first half. Uh, those of you who are Patreon subscribers can get the second half a few days early in the middle of this week on Wednesday at the Patreon uh, which is at www.patreon.com slash ready for polyamory. Those of you who aren't will have to wait until next Saturday, uh, but you'll be getting it eventually anyway. Uh, and of course, the blog is at www.readyforpolyamory.com as usual. And I'd like to thank Corwin, Seva, Jamie, Brian, and Daniel for joining me for this episode. Mm -hmm.